0: Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, team. The Lord is coming back. Amen. 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 Before I bring you the message uh, this morning, I just want to uh, make a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to uh, again publicly express my gratitude and thankfulness for Doug Craft of serving this past year as the Rector's Warden. I know those who have served in that capacity always have the greatest sympathy for the person who occupied that place. As I told you before, I'm a handful, and somebody's going to be my warden. My goodness, uh, it's, a, it's a job and a half, and I'm so grateful for him. He constantly at the vestry meetings reminded us that while our mission statement is reaching the lost and equipping the saints, that there are so many found who are sitting in lost churches, <laughs> and we need to be conscious of that. And, order to bring a man to be part of this remnant and be hearing the gospel preached so faithfully and without compromise. And I'm so grateful for your leadership, Doug. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, you continue commiserating for the next year. I am uh, honored and privileged that Tom Wilkes have accepted my invitation to be the rector's warden for this coming year. Tom, where are you sitting? Stand up. (laughs) I hope you will see. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Lord, may you make the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts and minds be acceptable to you glorifying to you and above all father honoring jesus in his name i pray amen on one beautiful australian summer afternoon december 20th of 1971 I entered into my home church in Sydney, Australia, following my pastor who was going ahead of me, and uh, we came and stood before the congregation. Uh, And as the music started playing a certain tune, uh, my pastor asked me to turn around and look at the back of the church. At that moment, I will never forget, 47 years plus a week, <laughs> the sun shone through the side windows, and the whole sanctuary became ablaze with beautiful light. And down the aisle, I saw an 11-year-old, ginger, ginger hair, red-haired young lady, flower girl, walking down, followed by a bridesmaid. And I must admit, they didn't even get as much as a glance from me because my eyes were fixed on the very back of the church. My eyes were fixed on that beautiful bride. My thoughts, all of them, were totally focused on that bride, all of my attention was transfixed on the joy of the commitment that I was about to make to that bride. And I must admit, at that moment, something happened in me. On that day, something happened. Something happened to me after that day. Something happened to me since that day. And for nearly 50 years, I have then and continue now to have a tiny, tiny, tiny glimpse of how God, how the Lord himself feels about His bride, the church, a tiny glimpse, tiny, tiny, tiny glimpse of the Lord's infinite love toward His bride, the church, a tiny, tiny glimpse of the Lord's unconditional commitment to His bride, the church, a tiny, tiny glimpse of how the bridegroom committed himself to belong to the bride, and how he longs for his bride to belong to him. Belonging is what our 2020 vision is all about, and I want to share this with you today. I pray to God that every ear and every heart and every mind is open to the Holy Spirit. There are a whole lot of details about that belonging, but it begins with a commitment to belong. Confession time. When I was young, single Christian, I was what you may call a butterfly Christian. I hopped from church to church, and I'm sorry to say that none of my reasons were spiritual. But after that day, in back in 1971, I began to realize the importance of belonging. I realized the biblical imperative of belonging. I began to realize that it is my active belonging to the church, the visible church, which, which is an expression of the invisible church of God, universal. It is that commitment, that belonging is indispensable for my commitment to Him. Belonging and committing to a visible church is what God longs for His children to be and to have. Belonging completely without reservation to the visible church is an expression of one's commitment to Christ. It is an expression of our passion for Him. It is an expression of our love for Him. It is an expression of our decision to imitate Him who is totally committed and belongs to His church, the Bride of Christ." Well, just in case someone said, well, Michael, of course you're the pastor. You have to belong to the church. Well. Let me tell you a, a fact. Uh, for a period of ten years, I was not a pastor. I was heading up a parachurch organization. But during those ten years, some of you here know, knew me then, knew me well. Uh, in, the, in that church where I, um, I totally belonged, I served freely, and deliberately insisted on not being compensated for the services and ministry, or the preaching, or teaching, or whatever it else they asked me to do. The leaders of the church were adamant that I should be compensated. I was more adamant that I will not be compensated. I tithe my income to that church. I belong to a small group in that church. Why you say you telling me this? Because those who don't did not know me back then. And those of you who do can tell those who do not that I have never asked anybody to do anything that I have not done. I've never uh, preached something to you that I have not been willing to do myself. And I want you to think with me. Just think with me for a moment, because that is the situation in our culture today. I want you to think with me. Back on that day in 1971, what if my bride decided to sit in the back pew. God bless the back pew, love the Baptist, thank you. That's okay, don't don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. But what if she decided to sit in the back pew for the rest of the ceremony? I want you to think about this. Think of my bride decided to come late and leave early. This is not a hint. It's a blunt rebuke. What if my bride said, Listen, I have come through the door, but I will make my vows standing here in the back? Just think about this. What if the bride said, This is a temporary commitment, just in case there's something I don't like uh, about belonging to you? What if the bride said, I will make my vows conditional on you meeting my needs the way I want to be, be met? What if my bride said, I'll marry you, but I will visit on occasions when I don't have something more important to do? Think about this, okay? Thank God we didn't have the internet back then. She would have probably watched the service on the computer. Listen, we're so grateful to be able to bring you this service, but this is for people who cannot come to church. If you are able to come to church and you're sitting there in your pajamas drinking coffee within 20 miles radius of this church, you should feel convicted. But you just think about this. I mean, I I want you to think of how ludicrous it is. And if you say it is ludicrous, I agree with you that this cannot be. How can it be a marriage? How can it be the bride of Christ? How can it be the bridegroom separated from the bride? It is impossible. But what if I told you that there are Christian believers who do that? Who do just that to the bridegroom of the church, the bride of Christ? What if I tell you there are so many members of the bride of Christ? Uh, who have a lifestyle of just doing that? What if I tell you that there are so many who want to be called the bride of Christ, but only if they don't have to belong, only if they can occasionally show up, or only if they they have no other commitment, but they don't want to make a commitment? What if I tell you (laughs) that they don't uh, want to have to share their life with others, What if I tell you that uh, they want to remain independent? They don't want to be part of the body. They don't want to be part of the bride, but they want to be the bride of Christ. Now, beloved, listen to me. What is happening in our culture is that members of the bride of Christ, they want the benefits without investing themselves. Uh, They want the privileges without responsibilities. They want the ceremony without the vows. They want to be consumers, not the bride of Christ. They want to pick and choose. They want to come and go without accountability. They want to take part of being the bride of Christ if and when they feel the need to. And that breaks the heart of Jesus. I am absolutely convinced of that. If I know anything about the Scripture that I've been studying for 54 years, that breaks the heart of Jesus. And that is why some people hop from church to church. I read not so long ago about this gentleman who attended two churches on Sunday mornings. He goes to one because he likes some music and he goes to the other because he likes the, bre- the preaching. And the truth is, he did not belong to either. At the first church, he steps out of the service just before the last song winding down. And the other church is about five-minute drive. So, he even factored a time <clears throat> in between uh, to go to McDonald's for an Egg McMuffin. <clears throat> This man timed it so well that he would be walking into the second church just as the pastor begins preaching. The sad part about this is that this dear man does not realize the incalculable loss not only to himself, but to those two bodies of Christ. Now beloved, if I know anything about the church of Jesus, I know this, that Jesus did not establish His church just for attendance. Jesus did not establish His church just as a spectator sport. Jesus did not establish His church so that we may periodically visit. Jesus did not establish His church so that people might go to be entertained. Jesus did not establish His church so that people can drop in on the way to somewhere else. No, 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 no. Christ established His church so that it may be that He may be the focus of our attention, that He may be the object of our worship, that He may be the subject of adoration, that He may be the center of our devotion, that He may be, that He may give us an opportunity to belong to each other and to belong to Him. If you study the entire history of God's people. And I'm talking about Old and New Testament both, because we do not have two books. We have one book made of two sections. Can I get an amen? Amen. As my old professor at used to say, the Old Testament is the house, and the New Testament is the roof. It's a complete book. You can't ditch one or the other. You have to have both. They're one unit. One says Jesus is coming, the other one says Jesus is here. But if you study the history, I was privileged to be in seminary, and so many of you have too, but to go and to understand how the history of God's people worked, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament church, you're going to find that there are periods of time where there is a a spiritual growth, there are other periods of time when there is a spiritual contractions, spiritual growth and contraction. And it goes on, i I just give you a summary of it so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, And during the time of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the church was going through one of those contractions, spiritual contractions. It was a wholesale departure from the truth of the gospel. You read the book of Isaiah, it will will tell you that, that, that the people would come and worship God in their words only, but not with their heart, and on and on and on. But in the midst of this, the faithful believer believers have developed to what is known as remnant theology. What's remnant theology? These faithful people who trusted the Word of God, who trusted in the promises of God, and while everybody else is departing from the truth, they stay true to the Word of God. The faithful remnant that committed to God and to each other, they become known as the way. This is 700 years before Christ. And that faithful remnant called the Aseans, and those of you who traveled to Israel, you've seen that in En with the Dead Sea Scroll and all that stuff. The Aseans were out there in the mountains. For 700 years, in the midst of a spiritual drought, the remnant stayed faithful. In fact, John the Baptist came from the Aseans. In other words, for 700 years, these faithful people, this faithful remnant, believed God, trusted God, knew that God is going to keep His Word, that is just as He said in Genesis 3:15 that He's sending His Messiah. They waited for Him. Prophet after prophet said, He's coming. They took those promises seriously. They took them literally. They prayed. They waited. They gave. They sacrificed. And waiting for the Messiah to come in the midst of a culture that has departed from trusting in the promises of God. And every generation will tell the next generation, as they depart, you stay faithful. You, my children, wait. And then the children's children, and the children's children, until 700 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ showed up. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the one we waited for for 700 years, at least in our little community. And, beloved, you've heard me say this the beginning in the 50s. And I'm not a professional historian, but I'm an amateur historian. But beginning in the 50s, the Church of Jesus Christ in the West began to experience this contraction. Forget about the mega churches, they're just entertainment centers with motivational speakers. but I'm talking about spiritual condition. I'm not talking about numerical numbers. I'm talking about the spiritual condition. These faithful belonging remnant today are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. As a pastor, dear friend of mine, told me not so long ago, he said, brother, he said, we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. He's talking about the faithful remnant. And that is why we in this church, who are among the faithful remnant, need each other more than any other time in modern history. We need each other. We need to wake up to the importance of belonging. We need to wake up to the importance of ministering to one another. We need to wake up to the importance of loving one another in communities. We need to wake up uh, to not… Um, only serving one another, but also serving the dying, desperate world around us. And that's part of the uh, the vision, 2020 vision. The faithful remnant church, like ours, needs to serve our communities, serve our cities, serve our world in the name of Jesus. Now you hear about this from the secular media, from the secular world, and you hear it And you're going to hear from me about this more and more in the coming years, because this 2020 vision comes in at this very critical juncture in the life of our church, because we're going to belong to one another in small communities. Every member of this church, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, you must belong to one of the many, 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 over a hundred communities in this church. Uh, we will be inviting others to come and join with us. But not only that, together, the second half of the vision is that we're going to reach out to serving the needy communities, the, the desperate places, the serving opportunities are going to be presented to you throughout the years, this coming year. Please listen to me. The fallen world talks about social justice. Listen carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is a Marxist communist language. This is a a socialist ideology. And let me tell you without hesitation (laughs) that we are going to serve, and we're going to do, and we're going to give, and we're going to sacrifice, but in Jesus' name. While others, we talk about self-serving and how it makes me feel good, we're going to practice serving others for Jesus' sake. As a faithful remnant, we not only need to be totally, foundationally anchored in Jesus and in the Word of God, but we will also reach out to serve the needs of others in Jesus' name. There's something you need to know about me if you don't know this. If you haven't read my book, Trust and Obey, you might not know this. I take a long time discerning the mind of God. I wish it wasn't the case. And now I hear people say, well, God told me, And the, one, one preacher one time, many years ago in the 80s, he was preaching and he stopped and said, yes, Lord, what are you saying? And, and, and then he talks and then he said, yes, Lord, what you are saying? Let me tell you, I, it doesn't work that for me. <laughs> it takes me years. It takes me months. It takes me knees, but, but on my knees, fasting and praying to discern the mind of God and the will of God and the vision of God. As you know, many times I've said this before, that it is my modus operandi to say to the Lord, give me your vision so that that I may obey it, not here's my vision, bless it. It's just who I am. And you need to know that about me if you did not know this. This time, as we shared in this 2020 vision, the entire ministry team was in prayer with me and in commitment and in unity and the vestry as we shared with them, step by step. Please don't misunderstand me. I have been saying for a while now that I am in my fourth quarter of my game. Monty Johnson, who knows more about the game than I will know in ten lifetimes, said, don't say that. That's the wrong analogy. And when somebody has done the stuff professionally, I listen. He said, what you need to say is that you are going into overtime. The game is over, but you go into overtime. And he said the great thing about overtime is southern death. (laughs) I am wondering if he's prophesying that I'm going to drop dead in this pulpit. (laughs) Please listen. Our 2020 vision is not going to be a slick program. No, no, no. We've never done that for 31 years, and we're not going to start now. Is not going to be a slick self-serving venture, no. But as we commit ourselves to each other in smaller communities, in, 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 whether it be on Sundays or whether it be on home groups or whether we we'll be in the middle of the week, but we're also going to be committed to serving others. And we will serve Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Let me tell you, A a true story. I want to tell you this true story that some of you would remember if you are older than 30 years old. Because it was on the news night after night after night after night. And it was between the year 1986 and 1990. 86 to 90. As soon as I tell you, you will remember. Remember the hostages that were taken in Beirut, Lebanon? Remember the hostages? Yes. One of those hostages named Frank Reed, and he held, was held hostage in Beirut during this miserable civil war. My wife and I have been to Beirut at least twice in the last four years, and, and it's the amazing thing. The whole city is rebuilt now, and it's magnificent. Uh, even greater than it was before the Civil War, but they did something very amazing. They, uh, for example, the old Holiday Inn right there on the Mediterranean. They left it the way it was in the Civil War. Big bullet holes from the cannons that were fired. And they did this deliberately. And you walk in these beautiful buildings, beautiful buildings, and, and, and then you go and see one like this. This is to remind the next generation the misery of Civil War. Because they forget. You see, we forget very easily. But back to my story. I'm digressing. I'm sorry. But I, 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 I love Beirut. I've, I've preached there, and I, I love the place. For months, Frank Reed was in a cell, chained, living in complete darkness because he was blindfolded. On one occasion, they moved him to another room, again, blindfolded. In this new room, he was there for three weeks before he realized that two other Americans, Terry Anderson and Tom Sutherland, are in that same room. Because he was blindfolded. Finally, when he picked up the carriage to peek and realized the two other Americans in the room, three weeks Even though Reed was beaten, he was tormented, and yet what caused him the greatest pain was the feeling that nobody cared. In an interview, he said the following. Let me read it so I don't mess it up. He said, nothing mattered anymore. I began to realize how painful it it is to exist with not a single expression of someone caring about me. He continued, I learned one overriding fact, namely that caring is the most powerful force Now, beloved, listen to me. Here's the question. How are we going to care for one another if we're not in communities with one another, in small communities? One of the things that tears me up, and my family and and, and those who are close to me know this, is things that tears me up when I hear after the fact someone's been sick or somebody's going through a tough time and I did not know about it. It tears me up. In our 2020 vision, I'm asking every single member to belong to one of our many communities. And if you don't like the ones we have, start a new one. We'll help you. Can I get an amen? Amen. But we're not going to stop there. We'll need people who are going to come and help us in order to present us with opportunities of serving our city and of serving the world in the name of Jesus. Why do I call this 2020? Very simply, it will take one full year, the entire year, 2019, to fully implement God's vision for us, for everyone to catch the vision, for that vision to become part of our DNA. It's going to take a year. And so by January 2020, God willing, we'll be able to stand here and say to you, God, help us fulfill this vision. Now we're going to increase and build on it. Let me speak to those who object to belonging to a small group or a smaller community. I heard all sorts of excuses through the years. (laughs) Uh, Somebody says, well, you know, if I go to a smaller community, they might ask me to pray in public, and oh, man, I don't want to do that. Uh, Another one says, well, they may uh, ask me some biblical questions, and I don't have a lot of biblical knowledge. Let me assure you, I know these leaders of these communities, none of them will ever do that. Amen? Now, whether you are introvert or extrovert, you will be treated with respect and welcomed. And whatever community you decide to join, you'll be totally accepted. I know for sure, I know for sure that you will grow in biblical knowledge, that you will grow in love, that you grow in caring for one another. And no one is there to embarrass you. The second thing I want to tell you is this: you'll discover that everyone is there to encourage each other. Everyone upholds each other. Everyone uplifts each other. Everyone applies the scripture, the word of God, to life equally. Everyone will learn from each other's successes and failures. And when you begin to serve each other and develop friendships, these friendships will last in a lifetime. I could parade a hundred people here today, at least, who will testify to what I'm telling you, who are part of the smaller communities and the home groups and other small groups. But there you're going to discover some powerful biblical principles. You're going to discover, as the Bible said, that iron sharpens Iron. Do you know how to kill a fire? Remove all the logs, leave one. Just leave one. It will burn, it will burn, and eventually it will smolder. That's what happens. Put them together, they will ignite fire. It's my prayer. The fires will be ignited in a hundred different ways in this place. Amen? Let me ask you a question How many people can you actually call at 2 o'clock in the morning? when you're facing some difficulty? That's the question. This is the one thing that belonging is supposed to develop among brothers and among sisters. And that is why this 2020 vision is emphasizing not only belonging to each other, but serving together. It's a two-pronged approach. For those who would say, Oh, I will never, I would never open my heart to others. I'll, I'll never open up to other, I'll tell people what's going on in my life. I'll never do that. I never will allow myself to be vulnerable. Please listen carefully. Now me, Jesus. Listen to what he said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not long ago, I was in Israel and the guide asked me to lead. And it took me five minutes to get over my emotions, thinking of my Lord in that place, pouring His heart out to His disciples. As you know, these things get to me. Here's what He said to them. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Beloved, this is the Lord of glory speaking, and he never thought that being vulnerable to his disciples or before his disciples was a thing to be ashamed of. You know, by nature, those of us in ministry, we we are there to give because, you know, and one of those people, I I know this, some people in the leadership know this, I, I, I don't receive very well. I've been struggling with that all my life. I give freely, but I don't receive her. But there are some days that I'll go to the pastor's meeting, and I said, guys, I hate to be selfish. I'm in desperate need of your prayer. In fact, this is the kind of honesty that develops such intimacy with God than with brothers and sisters. Next to salvation, listen carefully, next to salvation there can be no higher love, no deeper love, no closer friendship than members of God's family who practice life on life together. I know in a church the size of ours it is so easy to get lost in the shuffle. I know that. It is so easy to come and go and be anonymous. I know that. And I have to tell you, that sometimes when we fail, I'm talking about we in the leadership, in seeing and reaching to others, I already told you, it tears me up when I fail and I take full responsibility for that. That's why I'm deeply grateful to the ministry team who try to keep me informed. Today I want to challenge each one of you, each one of you, each one of you, each one of you. Don't tell well, it's for my neighbor, it's for you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's for you. Come on, everyone, turn to your neighbor and say, it's for you. And you turn the other way and say, it's for you. That means it's for everybody. I want everybody to say, I will initiate. I will reach out. I will do the asking. I'll do the checking out. If every person in this place becomes an initiator, we'll have heaven on earth, I promise you. (laughs) When everybody buys into the fact that you belong, you're not a guest, you're a host, you're not a spectator, you are participants, you'll discover that you're the one who'll be blessed. I want to tell you this as I conclude. You heard me say this before. Everything I know, I learned from somebody else. A friend of mine, John Bachman over here, knows who I'm talking about, from Waco, Texas. Went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Once told me this. I have never forgotten it. It's been many years ago, over 20 years ago. He told me about the sandhill crane migration south in the winter. Now, you know, that's not something I kind of really know instinctively. I, I grew up knowing. So I learned it from my dear friend. He said there are four things about the sandhill cranes as they migrate south for the winter. The first thing, he said, they travel in a V formation. And they're always on the top of that V formation, a leader who leads. Uh, He sets the direction for the entire formation. Uh, And being a leader is very hard work, very, very hard work, because going ahead and going against the wind. The third thing he said, the leader, because it's hard work, these birds take turns in leadership in order to relieve the leader from the hard work that... Uh, he, uh, that the bird is experiencing. And so they give the leader a break. And here's the fourth thing. Whoever the leader is, it doesn't really matter. In the front of that v-, v formation, the rest of the birds encouraging the leader by honking. Are you going to honk? That's okay. <laughs> they honk all the way south. As if to say, honk, honk, keep it up. Honk, honk, you're doing good. Honk, honk, lead on, Macduff. And beloved, that's our church and the different communities should be about. It's not about embarrassing you or testing your biblical knowledge. It's about encouraging one another. It's about caring for one another. It's about Uplifting one another. It's about iron sharpening iron. It's about serving together. It's about impacting our world for Jesus together. It's about sharing our Christian life together. It's about honking together. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If God spoke to your heart, if you realize this is not Michael Yusuf speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and you need to belong, get your bullet. Everybody gets, get, get, get it out. Get it all out. Get it out. Wave it at me. Wave it at me. I'm normally going to pray, but then I'm going to do something as we sing the next song. There is a peripherated section here that you can tear up here. How do you sense God is calling you to respond? Please check all that applies to you. I want to connect to deeper community within the church. I want to serve in the community outside of our church. I want to invite others into the community of our church. Just fill it out. Put your name and your email information. we would be very grateful to you. If you want somebody to get in touch with you, mention that. And after we pray, during the next hymn as we sing together, I want you to get up, have those filled out, and place them at the steps right here. This is your sacrifice unto the Lord. This is your commitment for 2019, saying, Lord, I want to do one of these things. You got another thing, write it down. If we didn't think of everything, fill it out as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I've been pleading with you all, day, all night, and that people would not hear me because I am only conscious of my inadequacies and my inabilities my failures, and my shortcomings. But as my brothers joined with me before the worship time downstairs and prayed earnestly for everyone in this room, everybody's watching that could not be here, that this be a holy moment. This will be a moment of commitment that we're going to stop dating the Bride of Christ, where we're going to be part of the Bride of Christ. We're not going to date the church. We're going to be part of the church. Father, I pray, as only you know the hearts and you know the minds and you know how every one of us and you know us intimately, I pray, Holy Spirit, work in us. Help us that we were truly Make this coming year to be a year of service, a year of ministry, and a year of obedience. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you. Let's stand and sing together and just bring those as you fill them out and place them right here at one of the steps. Thank you, guys.